Bonzilla presents Star Trek. Each week we warp speed into the world of Star Trek. This week the next generation era of films begins as Kirk and Picard finally meet. It's 1994's Star Trek Generations. Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Bonzilla Presents. This is Nick here. This is Will over here. And uh, coming to you live, but also not live because it is live recorded. But also, we don't like stream this. We're not. Yeah. We're not. We're not on Twitch. It's uh, live for. It's live for us. Right. And if, if for the first time you're hearing it, it's kind of live. But then if you re-listen to it, it's not really live. You know, it's just. It's uh, this. It's it's it's. I don't know. I tried again. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I like, have an idea and it, you know doesn't really peter it mm-hmm. peters out it peters out right. um probably was loud again because i've been very loud in the last couple episodes personally oh, so oh, yeah well you know that happens listen i i but you, well you know me i'm a naturally loud person when it comes to when i'm excited like <laughs> you you've seen this before where i get louder and louder the more and more excited about something and then you so you're gonna to... be so are you gonna get quieter and quieter as this episode goes on yeah <laughs> yeah um but no because i have passionate thoughts no will, there's been times where like i'm talking to will about something and then will has to be like nick like calm down for a second like just lower your voice it's like 10 at night um mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah no i've been i've been there for for those yes I've, I've been there uh, i've been there because i've been the one who's talking anyway we're back on the attack with more star trek and uh it is a new era in terms of our star trek uh viewing and our star trek discussion because we are now fully past the original series films and we are now talking about the next generation of Star Trek films, as in the next generation, mm-hmm. um, which is all based, of course, on the second television series. Um, and I think the, a good way to start with this, because obviously with the original series, I had put out that kind of bonus episode about the original series. And, and the reason for that was because there is so much about like where the series was going into the motion picture and the lengthy story of the motion picture that I didn't want to have to cram all that into that first episode. And also because I am admittedly much more familiar with the original series films. It's the, and the original series show itself. It's the show that I've seen the most of, and I have seen some of the best episodes of the next generation. Um, But in any case, we're not doing kind of an individual episode about the the show, but I do think it's important to kind of, you know, get into what our, you know, viewings of the next generation and, and our association with it, because the next generation, um, we've talked about it kind of with Brosnan when we talked about Bond and, you know, in your era of growing up with Godzilla is like, you're kind of most familiar with, you know, initially with that era you grew up on, right. Or you grew up around like Bond. It's like 
the bond of our childhood was Brosnan. And then you kind of reach out and everything else. And like when you were getting into Godzilla, it was like kind of Godzilla 98 into the millennium era. And that was kind of like where your initial Godzilla stuff was. And so it's just interesting because like for all the pop cultureness of the original series and like how much that has transcended through from its 60s to, to now and even to the reboot series, which we'll get to, like the next generation was really a big deal when we were growing up. Like we, we kind of grew up right at the tail end of it slash into the movies era. So I thought it would be interesting to talk about kind of what we always thought about the next generation or how we perceived it um, in terms of Trek, you know? Well, yeah. So for me, the next, the next generation was the star Trek that was on. That was basically my introduction into star Trek. Again, I, I was never a Trek aficionado or a fan up mm-hmm. until much much later and until now i'm just more familiar with it but this was the show that i knew as star trek and it was the one that i knew that was it was always it was just always on <laughs> yeah <laughs> it i mean was just what and and the and the theme song was banger that was the other thing and um and and then also for my that became really my reference point for um for a lot of star trek because to me like there's like a there's like a straight line correlation between that for me and like something like galaxy quest and it, it, like, even though i know galaxy quest is more of a but i don't know galaxy quest is more of like a takes more cues from next generation probably yes. i think than it does the original mm-hmm. um but so for me that that was just the star trek for me growing up was that it, it was it was all Picard and Data and the and the theme song and Worf and the, the entire aesthetic everything about it was just up until you know high school um uh that was just that was my reference point and I cannot stress enough that it was always on well yeah strangely and, yeah well I mean the the reason for that well, I'll, I'll touch upon the reason for that a little bit as we lead into the actual kind of lead up to this movie. But it was always interesting because it, it it is striking to me that for me personally, like, you know, I was also a very late bloomer into Trek. Um, I've told the story a little bit as over the course of this this sort of series of episodes, but I really got in the Trek around 2018, um, having some brief familiarity with it. But like even as a kid, like I did know like at least Picard, like I knew Patrick Stewart, I knew kind of that that aesthetic. And it was interesting just because I I think even as a kid, I kind of knew for whatever reason, like the original series, I guess I kind of was always amused by just Shatner as a person in general. And then I kind of lead to to me like knowing more about the original series, but, but it does strike the post. That's like, it's important to note. I think that the next generation is really, I think where star Trek gets solidified as sort of, not just a cornerstone of Paramount, but a real true cornerstone uh, science fiction franchise. Because yes, the original series was very big at its time. We've talked about it. And, you know, the movie series ends up being, you know, again, a big motion picture franchise into the 80s. It's one of, it's one of the big 80s franchises. But the next generation and its success is really kind of what makes Trek Trek, I think. And sort of this like ongoing series of 
films in this wider universe that's not just like the original series era and that thing but like you know this you know originally it's 78 years between like the pilot episode next generation and uh the voyage home so it's like a 78 year gap it's just to know that there's the future and then eventually star trek can go to the past and it's going to other spin-offs and other places in the universe and it really where the star trek world becomes this big universe and also kind of you have this sort of different cast that shows different sides of the Trek universe. And like we, the next generation is really where like the Klingon lore gets really developed and maybe all the alien races really get developed through the next generation, as well as sort of more specifics about the Federation's relationship with these different places. And um, you get data involved. So you get artificial intelligence and that sort of thing. And, it just really sort of makes Star Trek Trek. And especially when you kind of start realizing the films and it's like, okay, well, there are six next original series films, but we also have a series of next generation films. And the fact that there are four next generation films and the fact that the, you know, the next generation series ran for seven seasons, like that's not to be, that's a successful franchise. And it's, and it is, there's a lot of people who prefer the next generation to the original series. And there's a lot of people that prefer the characters and the relationships and the storytelling of the next generation to those three seasons of the original series as classic as they are. And some of it is the more modern sensibilities of the next generation and sort of the more modern television landscape it landed on. But, but a lot of it is to be said about the quality of the story and the characters and the cast that you know is able to capture sort of the same feelings and explorations that that original Star Trek series did mm-hmm. within new ways. Um, especially because yeah, and, and, yeah. and then and then for me it's just because it's also interesting, especially going back and watching the original like series in that era mm-hmm. and retroactively seeing where my intro point to to uh, the universe was. Because, like, so there are things like, you know, obviously, like, the Klingon relationship is just much different. Yes. Like, you know, it's still, there's some villainous Klingons, but, you, you know, you also have, like, Commander Worf, like, in there. Whereas, like, you know, it's pretty much in the original trilogy, going back and looking at it, it's it's strictly this more of a, you know, this, uh, this just this villainous force that is out there. Yeah. And that, it's pretty... Uh, clear cut and uh, also um, and then you see the evolution of uh, the way that they look which is <laughs> which is always that's always funny to me um, but then also like you know it's just your your reference like to me it's like for me it's like the big Star Trek villain was the Borg mm-hmm. like that was kind because of, this was the era of Star Trek I was I was introduced to so the Borg was kind of like the big bad uh, for from my point of view um so yeah so then it's always interesting and then when rewatching the kelvin when watching the kelvin movies for the first time i was less familiar with the call the call outs and like the and the easter eggs for the original trilogy and was more so looking out for like uh enterprise ones so yeah yeah. so yeah it it is interesting having that this the um um next generation uh, no, Enterprise is a whole different Star Trek show, right? Star that's, Trek that's the last. That was the last one of this sort of era, yeah. and then it took the big break, and then like Discovery. But it was like kind of the the last one and the least successful of the of the spinoffs. Right. But that was the, that was the other thing I was about to touch on too is that um, 
obviously we won't we'll touch upon this briefly as they come up in these movies but it also has to be said that out of the next generation came two very successful spinoffs under the same manner deep space nine which also features Worf, and star trek voyager which is a totally different and very unique star trek show which takes place in a whole other delta qual uh, the quadrant of the galaxy and and, and 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 those have their own fans and those have their own characters that people love and and it really sort of really grew the star trek fandom to new heights which is very interesting as well considering the fact that again we were still you know this was a time where television was still transitioning to kind of a eventually what we do now is television is like the big thing and in, in some ways like kind of the preferred storytelling method for a lot of people but this was still in that era where like tv was really the stepping stone to to films and the, you know this is still the era where shelly long was leaving cheers because she wanted to do motion pictures and stuff like that so um but the fact that like because the, the one thing i was gonna mention is the reason that star trek the next generation was always on was it was rejected by the three major networks because abc and nbc didn't want only wanted pilots and and CBS, which had the relationship with Paramount at this time, um, only wanted a mini series that would eventually lead to a series. So what Paramount did was they decided, okay, we're going to do it straight to syndication and anybody who wants to buy it wants to buy it. And that ended up being the reason that the series was so successful because essentially any network, any of those networks, like, uh, you know, very much so like the UPNs and the old WBs and everything could just buy straight up syndication because it worked. That's what made the original series kind of rediscovered back in the, in the, in the seventies was its syndication stuff. And it really worked for this. And it was a model that continued to work for deep space nine and Voyager and, and to an extent enterprise as well. Um, but it, it stands to be said that, that it has its own pop culture footprint. And while, you know, it's probably Spock and Kirk are kind of still the most familiar just from a wider pop culture range, this series did make its mark and people did have familiarity with the tropes and the uh, ideas and the characters and the stories. Uh, you know, I, I, the, when, when Picard becomes part of the Borg in season four, like that was a big television moment. And that's what, what brought a lot of people, drew a lot of people's eyes to, to the series. And the series is noted for its slow start and didn't really kind of really find its voice until its second season. But it, it continued to really grow uh, into these characters. And you had introduction of other elements of Trek, like the Borg, which we will see in these movies, and Q, which we're, I'm very surprised actually we don't see in any of these films. Um, but stuff like that. So I, it, it was that you mentioned the Picard uh, becoming assimilated uh, part of uh, the the show. I remember one time I was watching like you know best of the era, like one of those type of shows. Yeah, like where it's like oh all like the crazy memorable things that happen in popular culture during this time period. Yeah, and uh, and then on that list uh, or in the video, one of them was uh, him getting assimilated. Yeah, it was it was and, a and, it was a big then, television moment, right? And then you know, and then it cuts to all like the talking heads, and everybody was like, "This was crazy when this happened." We're like what what's gonna happen <laughs> yeah which and is awesome i i actually that's really cool like i remember you know. like i remember watching one of those shows like top 50 like tv moments in history or whatever and mm -hmm. it was like that was on the list it was right. like yeah when, yeah and yeah. it was a lot of credit to like people it did was a talking point and brought people to the show so 
Um, so I wanted to bring that up a little bit. Um, and especially because, again, the show ran seven seasons. Uh, as we mentioned before, it was kind of started off the success of uh, The Voyage Home back in 86 for season 1987 and runs through 94. So the series ends in the spring of 94. And this movie we're about to talk about comes out in the fall of that year. So this is coming right off the heels of, of The Next Generation. Um, but it, it ran for seven seasons and had very mem- many memorable characters, episodes, moments, and it had its own lore and its own distinct feeling um, and, and, and does have a very large section of the Star Trek fan base where that is their Trek. Um, you know, and it's to the point where, again, we're still, you know, we're doing Picard on Paramount Plus, you know. Uh, and and that's getting a second season and everything and and even stuff where um, like that animated show Lower Decks like that has a lot to do with the Next Generation era um, as well. So there's still a lot of love for that era and those characters and um, and and we're, I'm excited to kind of get into these four films and and kind of see the the highs and the lows of the Next Generation film series. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about. The Star Trek Generations from 1994, the first of the Star Trek The Next Generation films. Uh, so, obviously, it was always Paramount's intention to make a successful TV show, but also to eventually transition a successful TV show into a successful series of movies. Because, again, if we go back to 86, that was the whole idea with the starting The Next Generation is that the old original series cats was getting too old and these movies were not going to last forever. And eventually again, Paramount again was still trying to figure out what to do with mission impossible and still didn't really have a whole lot of other franchises up there, up their uh, sleeve to really take in, um, you know, the box office numbers. So they had always intentioned that at some point they were going to get this new star Trek show into the movies. Uh, so, in 1992, um, the Paramount executives start discussing, okay, we've come off the Undiscovered Country. That is our last original series episode, our, our original series story. Now, whenever we develop this next film, we're going about it as this will be a film for the next generation. And to kind of appease the issues that the Next Generation cast had with uh their possible appearance in the sixth Star Trek film. The feeling is that any film that comes out of the next generation will happen once the series ends. So the idea is, is that the 1993, 1994 season, which would be season seven is just going to be the, the last uh, and that Paramount is going to transition. It's Star Trek uh, television stuff into the spinoff Deep Space Nine and another spinoff, which eventually becomes Star Trek Voyager the next year in 95. Uh, so and in the end of 92, 93, the Paramount executives uh, reach out to Next Generation executive producer Rick Berman about creating the feature film. And the whole idea that Paramount has with this is if we time this right, we will get a film out in the same year as the series ends. And the best way for us to do that is to essentially use the television crew so they they get rick berman to you know help produce the film 
And Berman is like, okay, well, if we're going to keep this within the house of the next generation in this crew, then I'm going to get some of my writers, my, my TV writers to work on some scripts. So, um, we also get Berman immediately talking to two of his chief writers, Ronald D. Moore and Brandon Barga, um, who are two very much big names, not just in Star Trek, but who end up becoming big names in sci-fi. Because obviously Ronald D. Moore goes on to create the very famous Battlestar Galactica reboot that really kind of is another shift in sci-fi television. And Brandon Barga um, would go on to do um, The Orville with uh, uh, Seth MacFarlane but also would uh, would become a own big television writer and executive producer in his own right. So they're the first team that's kind of contacted to to work on a part of the film. Uh, Bergman kind of contacts other writers um, and other producers to help out, but some of them also had their own ideas. Some of them were like, well, I don't want this to be a competition. I just want the contract. So they were out. And eventually the, 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 the script does fall onto the shoulders of Moore and... Uh, and Braga. Uh, and more and Braga's first idea is again the obvious one. All right, well, we gotta face off the the next generation and original series cast, because that's what the fans most want to see, and that would be the most fun to write. And 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 Ronald D. Moore said that in their head for such a long time, they just had the image of the poster with the two crews kind of facing off, and it's like Spock and Picard, one must win, one one will live, one will die. So it's sort of a kind of a big fight. But then none of them could come up with a good reason for the crews to actually face off. So instead, they kind of came up with an initial, again, time travel team up story. But Paramount was quick to reject this. On the one hand, they were like, oh, no, but we we finished up the original series story. Like, we're done with that big crew. Like, we want it to be focused on you guys. Really, Paramount was like, we don't want to pay the salaries of the original series cast, because that's the reason we want to do the next generation cast is you guys are cheaper and to, to get them all back for a whole nother movie. After we said like, this was the last one that, that they've got all the power to make that money. So eventually an agreement is made that, okay, more. And especially Patrick Stewart, once he gets into conversations and Berman, they all agree that like, well, the easiest transition would be to do like a, a kind of a passing of the torch type thing, so that new audience members know, okay, this is the new Star Trek film that you're following that, okay, we're, we're actually transitioning into it. So Paramount agrees, okay, you can use the original series crew for a cameo in the opening scene, and you can have Kirk at the end of the movie. But that's it. That's, that's all you have. So that's kind of what they have to develop on. And so as, other than that, Moore and Berga are just kind of basically doing what they would do for... Uh, a Star Trek episode, but just kind of thinking about it more as, as a feature film, as opposed to being like, you know, a regular seven season seven episode um, during their discussions. Um, the idea of killing Kirk comes up mm-hmm. and essentially it's just sort of the, well, we want to do something big and something different. And we want, you know, the kind of like, we want to make this something memorable and something worth Tallinn and sort of this I kind of idea about Picard sort of facing death, you know, and, and like that's always the biggest thing you could have is kind of Picard's story and facing death of loved ones and, and sort of 
that that reflection on life and what better way to um kind of showcase that than sort of killing someone off and originally it was kind of discussed well maybe killing off in a, a next generation character would be the way but they all agreed that they didn't really want to kill any of those characters and sort of like okay well maybe killing off kirk it's a kind of a big deal to bring some gravitas to the film uh and surprisingly paramount and shatner really didn't have any objections to this at the time um because Shatner, you would think, would be opposed to dying in a Star Trek film, but I also think that Shatner knew that the writing was on the wall, that this was his last one either, no matter what. And so maybe his his thought was like to, to go out on kind of a bang and kind of have a big death uh, would be the way to go out, um, just because the likelihood of him coming back after this was was likely slim to none. And I'm sure Paramount was also very eager. It's like, listen, like we don't want the original series cast in the film, but to kind of market it off of Kirk and Picard and kind of have like the big death as sort of a talking point as the movie goes on might bring up some box office stuff. Uh, it was also around this time that uh, discussions with Paramount and uh, Moore and Ber- uh, Berga also led to Paramount requesting a, a humorous data plotline mm-hmm. uh, that they wanted data to how to have the comic relief element of the film. Um, so obviously with the idea of this being a next generation project and the idea that they weren't going to have to pay these big um, next, uh, original series uh, salaries, this was also a big thing about budget. And Paramount's, again, their whole thing with Star Trek is that we know we can make these movies on the cheap. So we're going to kind of constrain to a budget. And film projects at this time were increasing overall, but $30 million was kind of the original lock. And then Paramount was able to convince everybody that they could do it at 25 million. So 25 million was the final um, kind of budget, uh, which then Mono, Mono Dumore and uh, Brandon Bergma kind of tailored the script around that. And a lot of that too was like, just like with the original series films, well, they were going to be re- just reusing a lot of the sets for the next generation. Um, because they were coming right off the filming of the series. And in fact, the filming would likely take simultaneous play place. And it does the, and the finale, like the last couple months of the next generation series and the generations filming kind of crossover. Um, but one thing that Ronald D. Moore noted was that, well, after we shoot generations, the Star Trek Next Generation sets are going to be taken out to help out with Deep Space Nine and this other future spinoff that they're going to be kind of redressed to use for those shows. So that was more was like, well, if we're taking apart these sets anyway, why don't we destroy the Enterprise D? It, and, and it was a very big inspiration from the same sort of effect, the same sort of idea that they did in Star Trek Three, which was kind of the death of the Enterprise in that film. But there was a big kind of discussion of like, okay, let's kind of do something big. We'll take out the Enterprise D. Um, we'll specifically like beat up the set more than we ever normally would because we're taking it down anyway. And it would be a lot of fun to do that. So that's how kind of a lot of the elements of the film sort of kind of coalesce into it. But otherwise, Moore and Berga were, were basically writing this again as sort of as if they were writing an episode of the show because that's what they had been doing for many, many years at this point. And to keep it all in-house once again, uh, they name uh, David Carson director. Uh, David Carson was a British 
director who was basically exclusive to television at that time. I had never done anything in feature film work, but had directed a couple of the most notable Next Generation episodes, was familiar with the cast, was familiar with the sets, was familiar with the crew, and basically they knew that he could kind of get the job done. And Carson was excited because he liked working on The Next Generation. He liked working with the actors on the show. And it was just a new experience to actually do sort of a feature film production as opposed to doing a television production. Though everybody notes that Carson very much kept the very efficient and succinct television production timeline for the main shooting of this movie really only took 51 days. Um, and, And people know that it wasn't a rush production. It wasn't anything... Like that, it was just that Carson was just so used to a television schedule that he was able to get things going pretty quickly. So with that, um, it's kind of time to talk a little bit about the cast. And obviously, uh, we have our big, is there kind of our big introduction to the next generation cast of characters? So uh, I'll talk about them kind of briefly and also kind of talk about sort of not just them in this movie, but generally speaking, sort of their history with these characters. So obviously, leading the pack, is Patrick Stewart as Jean-Luc Picard, uh, the captain of the Enterprise D and the lead of the uh, series, kind of the Kirk role, as it were. Um, what's always funny about Stewart is that, uh, you know, I mean, Stewart's talked about this many times, that initially he was very reluctant to do Star Trek because he was very much, he was very much in that Dalton mode at that time where he was very much a stage actor, very much a Shakespearean guy, loved doing stage work, but was, you know, at that point you need to branch out and is actually was originally brought in to possibly play Data, but then the producers were very interested in him as the captain. And it was funny because Roddenberry had imagined someone more along the lines of a Kirk, and, and especially because Roddenberry had said in the initial meetings that he was looking for someone with a lot of hair and someone who was very virile. <laughs> um but but Stewart kind of won Roddenberry over over the years. And and Stewart has talked about a lot, and you can find these in, in many interviews with him, how he's grown to basically love the the Picard role so much. And part of that is because that while he's not a hundred percent Picard in real life, he has inserted so much of himself into Picard. And he's really kind of found a connection with the character through his own personal interests and his own personal demons and everything like that. So by the time that the Star Trek Generations is happening, Stewart is very much in love with with playing Picard and wants to continue playing Picard, especially playing Picard with this group of people that he really feels close to this specific uh, cast, which uh, will come up a little bit later, too, when we talk about um, uh, LeVar Burton. Uh, but but it was Picard. Uh, sorry, it was it was Stewart who, as I mentioned, was very much eager to have Shatner in the film and have a connection to the original series, um, and, and very much was a lead in, in wanting to make sure that now that the series was over and the series was ending, that they did transition into becoming the main feature film franchise because he felt that it was important for the crew to have that legacy that matched the original series. That you know they were part of the Star Trek universe in the star trek fandom and that they deserve their own series of movies now that they had the time to do other stuff uh, alongside the films uh so he's very eager to kind of kind of continue in that way um johnson frex as william Riker, uh, who is the right hand man of picard in the series uh and 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 Riker obviously and and frex was was very much like 
this was his role, right? Like he would, do, you know, he would do the other stuff that it would make him memes in the future. But but this was a role that he was also very much um, attached to, uh, and he had a very just as Riker has a very deep relationship with Picard, Frax has a very deep relationship with uh, Patrick Stewart, and, and so. Uh, of course, Frex was very much eager to kind of continue, especially because in the back of his head, he was like, well, I've actually directed episodes of the series. So maybe I can go the Nimoy route at some point and direct a feature film, which he will, uh, which I'll be very excited to talk about. Um, Brent Spiner as uh, Lieutenant Commander Data, who is an android, uh, has a very specific history within the uh next next generation universe but basically is a very unique creature and a very unique individual and kind of plays the kind of spock role in a sense of sort of the emotionless very intellectual creature that you know is trying to kind of figure out stuff about himself and data's whole thing is that he wants to become more human as the series goes on and that plays a very big role obviously in this film where he gets an emotion ship which again is very interesting that this is coming off right the, at the end of the series because the emotion ship that data uses in this movie is directly off of an episode of the next generation uh where he obtains that ship from his brother uh lore um and, and so it's very interesting that more and brega are we're not afraid to kind of really just kind of make this an extension of of the series and yes they do things to kind of introduce it to a wider film audience but they really are taking elements of the series directly placing them into kind of the movie that makes it a true continuation of the next generation um spiner always notes as well that the makeup process was like a method acting thing in its own right because he would basically spend most of the day making himself incredibly pale uh but of course he would he just loved playing data and sort of that specific performance is something that spiner holds close to his heart um and lavar burton everybody's favorite man uh plays uh the kind of science officer on the ship the engineer as well uh jordy laforge who uh is most famous for his visor um, as he is blind it, within canon, he is blind and he uses the visor to help see and it has like some elements of the tricorders uh, which Bar Burton note the irony is that the visors both the original and kind of the one they use later in the series made him actually blind uh, and that he learned very much to walk without really seeing because he said in that first season he would just bump into walls and bump, <laughs> into, bump into chairs and everything like that Um. So he does wear the visor in this movie. Uh, and uh, he, by this point, he had kind of gotten really used to it. Uh, Michael Dorn as uh, Worf, uh, another lieutenant commander on the ship who gets a promotion in this movie, actually. Um, very big deal. Worf was actually not intended to be an ongoing character on the series. He was supposed to be kind of more of a guest role type of thing mm -hmm. um, or a kind of like a recurring role. Um, because Roddenberry initially didn't want to do much with the Klingons and the Romulans and, and the Vulcans because he wanted to kind of keep that to the original series. Uh, but Dorn basically sort of had the audition and the producers loved him. And, and again, Roddenberry fell in love with him as well. So eventually Worf becomes a, a, a regular on the series. And of course, at this time, he's also about to become uh, a major character on the spinoff that he's 
the spinoff. And even to this day, there are discussions about doing like a, a, a wharf show. And uh, he's kind of it was a uh, uh, data was really the show's kind of breakout character in that sense. Wharf was really right behind data in, in, in that way. And, and also, as again, it's important to note that Worf's presence and his the decision to make him an ongoing character is, again, what really increases the Klingon culture within the series. So the series um, in the universe of the show. Uh, to wrap up, we do have a few last uh, the, the the women of the ship: Gates McFadden as the chief medical officer, Beverly Crusher. She infamously left the show in the second season due to issues with the producers. But Patrick Stewart was so upset with missing her in the second season that she he convinced her to bring her back uh, in the third season, and she's been a part of the the show ever since. And she actually has her own podcast right now, where she's kind of discussing her Star Trek journey and and, and talking with her friends. Uh, but she, she's always I, I've always found her very interesting in how she kind of talked about how her kind of series journey on the series went. Mm-hmm. Um, and Marna Sturtis as uh, Deanna Troy, who is kind of a, an alien that can feel emotions and is is sort of like kind of a a. a, a a general psychiatrist to everybody on the ship. That's kind of one of the roles she plays throughout the series. Um, her, her character had really transitioned into those later six and seven seasons. Uh, originally, the producer, she said the producers had a lot of low cut tops and really emphasized her body more. She was able to kind of bring the kind of the more intellectual side of the character out in the second, like the later seasons. And she wanted to kind of continue that within in the movie verse. And the last one and kind of a big one um, is Whoopi Goldberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the bartender on the ship, Gurian, who um, also has a big connection to the plotline of this movie. This is a very famous story as well, but I'll tell it anyways, that Whoopi Goldberg has always said that Nichelle Nichols on Star Trek was her inspiration to becoming an actress and that she like like ran to her mom when she first saw Star Trek on TV because she's like, it's it's a black woman on TV and she's not the maid. Like, this is incredible. And so actually when Gates McFadden left in that second season... Whoopi Goldberg had her agent reach out to the next generation producers and say like, well, I want to be a part of the show. And there were originally discussions to make her the replacement medical officer. But then Whoopi was like, well, just wouldn't work. Cause she was, she was a big movie star at this time. Like she was legitimately like sister act and ghost and adult or whatever, all these other movies that she's, she's doing. Well, it, it was interesting. Cause for me watching, watching the show this was like the name for me in the show like yeah. this was the familiar face mm-hmm. for myself yeah yeah so she basically comes to an agreement with the producers that she'll become like the bartender on this new lounge they're producing for the second season the 10 forward lounge that would allow her to not have to be in every episode but they can kind of pop her up every once in a while and she was very honored to be in star trek and like she always says that whenever they would call her she would basically try to make time to do mm-hmm. it because she she was she she again she held star trek such in debt to like her career just mm-hmm. being inspiration that she was very much to pay it forward though the funny thing is that i will get to this in a second in this movie they so the cast knew that the next generation and the original series were going to cross over in some way but mm-hmm. not everybody knew that not everybody was going to be there so Whoopi goldberg had the disappointment of showing up the set looking for Nichelle Nichols and realizing she wasn't in the movie, uh, which was unfortunate. So Um, real, real quick, just talking about the fact that, you know, Whoopi Goldberg was for me, the name in the show. I don't know why this made me think of it, but it made me think about how going all the way, just all the way back to Patrick Stewart, that this was, this was probably my introduction to Patrick Stewart. Oh yes. yes. I I, I believe. Yeah. 
because this would have been this would have been the remember. world's yeah the world's yeah. introduction okay. to Patrick yeah, Stewart yeah. really because I mean like you know it's like this is what made this this is what it would get him like the notoriety to do Professor Xavier like mm-hmm. later in the decade you yeah know? so yeah yeah so this is like this is the big sort of introduction to because again like I was mentioning like Patrick Stewart was essentially like a Shakespearean actor. And then, like, he would do, like, TV. Like, not he wasn't, like, exclusive to Shakespeare, but basically that was his claim to fame. And that's what he still did. Uh, and, and actually, because Stewart always mentions that, like, he still loves playing Shakespeare. And one of the biggest honors, and when he really realized that, like, this Trek thing was a big deal, was that he would do Shakespeare in the off-seasons of the show. And there would be people in the audience dressed up in Trek garb because they just wanted to see Patrick Stewart, like, in Shakespeare. And he would get to meet fans. It's like, listen, like, you know, I, I'm just, you know, I'm a big fan of yours on the show. Like, you really, you really did well in Shakespeare. And, and people told him, like, they got into Shakespeare because they watched Pastor Stewart do Shakespeare. So it was a big deal for him. Um, to yeah. get some of the, and, and, and then, you know, and the, the last thing I'll say is, and because, you know, I, I was young and dumb at the time, as opposed to being modern day and dumb, but as, I was young and dumb and also because of the glasses, but it took me a minute to be like, oh yeah, Jordy is the reading rainbow guy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People, again, people love LeVar Burton. I mean, they, they single-handedly allegedly got him like that, that Jeopardy two week guest holes thing. So mm-hmm. good for them. And people, he's a really nice dude, by the way, like LeVar Burton is genuinely one of like the nicest people. And he does a lot of great work, especially with the reading rainbow stuff. Um, but to talk about some of the more exclusive to the Star Trek Generations cast, uh, our main villain in the movie is played by Malcolm McDowell playing mm-hmm. Tolly and Soren. Um, he was actually, uh, had played, a, uh, he'd, he'd been in Shakespearean plays with Stuart on stage and was happy to play with Stuart again. Um, but basically he says that he read the script and he was so taken in by the, the line of, uh, time is the fire in which we burn mm-hmm. that like he was kind of like i have to say this line i have to be in this movie um and 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 delivers it does he <laughs> yeah. um that fact that like he kept the pocket watch that he uses in this movie and had that line engraved onto the pocket watch uh-huh yeah. um but the only thing he requested he did not want to do the alien makeup thing he was like i don't want to be sitting in a chair all day um uh, and he mentioned in an interview that he really liked the the spiked hair look of himself mm-hmm. in this movie. He really enjoyed that look because technically he's an alien in the in, yes in the in the film, yeah, right. which yeah. we'll get into. But uh, yeah, he's an alien. Yes, yeah. One uh, of those. One of those. I'm I'm basically a human, but I'm an alien. Yes, I'm a human from another well, earth. Well, basically. Technically, like because that's the thing. Like technically, he's the same race as uh, Whoopi Goldberg's character. Right. Uh, right. Like they're, yeah. they're, they're the same. We find out they're the same race of alien. Um, right. Because the whole and that the whole which explains that, the time. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Got it mm. for sure. Um, I, I did have a, a comment about that, but I'll save it for the actual movie, which yeah. I thought was yeah. Uh, I also want to mention Alan Ruck makes an appearance in this movie briefly at the beginning of the film. Uh, as the captain of the Enterprise B in the opening sequence, um, Alan Ruck, of course, was most famous at this time. He had played, he, he had played, you know, Ferris's friend in, in Ferris Bueller. And, you know, he had had a career up to himself at this point. And he said that when they called him to be like a, a Star Trek cat, like he was, he was like, 
his agent was like, oh, you're going to be in the new Star Trek movie. And he was like, OK, are they going to make me like an alien or whatnot? Because he was like down for that. He's like, no, you're going to be the captain of the Enterprise or at least a part of it. And he like he's like, I don't look at myself in the mirror and see like I'm I'm a starship captain. I, I'm like he doesn't view himself that way. But then Berman was like, OK, well, you you know, kind of he's been playing, you know, he played like, you know, rich kid's son in in uh, ferris bueller and everything it's like like okay so the backstory of the character is like he's from like a wealthy family that kind of helped put him in this position for political gain so it's like we kind of want that aesthetic of of someone who's just kind of overwhelmed uh and maybe like uh, isn't used to kind of this pressure so alan ruck was like yeah i can do that very easily uh but the big thing uh, uh cast wise is we do have a few returning elements of the original series cast Mo- mainly James T. Kirk, Aurelian Shatner returns. But we also do get appearances by James Duhon and Walter Ketting as Scotty and Chekhov. Now, was it always supposed to be that way? Nope. <laughs> no, 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 no. So the original plan was, in fact, to have the triumvirate here, which was Kirk, uh, Spock, and McCoy. McCoy, uh, or Dear Forest Carroll, unfortunately at this time, was, was generally retired on acting, you know, was always interested in like maybe doing something because again, he again owed so much to Trek, but his health was declining at the time and he couldn't get on set insurance um, for his health. So they, they just couldn't afford to, to do that. And Nimoy was very critical of the script and very specifically his lines in the script, as he said that the, the the character said Spock, but it was just some generic person that this was not Spock. It, it was very telling how that scene plays out that they had two characters in mind for that role and that they did not change the dialogue. Yes. And yeah. if that is the case, one of those characters was definitely supposed to be Bones. And with the other character, I completely understand why Nimoy didn't want to come back. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I can just confirm right now that... Um, uh, Scotty replaced Bones and Chekhov replaced Spock. And basically they very minimally edited the dialogue to make that work. And Nimoy said when he finally saw the movie and he realized that they had barely moved the dialogue to make those characters work, his his rejection of the script was justified. Well, and it was also kind of an amount, like to me it felt like an amalgamation because, and again, we'll get into it, but even Chekhov had kind of like you're right some of the dialogue was very bones-ish that scotty had but even yeah. Chekhov was also doing bones right like yeah. things as well yeah so yeah i could yeah uh, yeah mm-hmm. though the one notable thing about this thing the last notable thing about that opening sequence the other thing is that they were going to like more was like oh he wrote sulu as the helmsman of the enterprise b and um what am i always George Sakai. I always like want to call him Sulu, but he's mm-hmm. George Sakai and he has a name. Takai was like, absolutely not. Cause first of all, Sulu's already been a captain. He's not going to accept a deep <laughs> to be the houndsman <laughs> right, on the right, Enterprise right. B. And second of all, I'm not going to allow the Sulu character to once again be taking orders from Kirk because mm-hmm. again, Sulu, uh, um, Takai is in that right, big, and that was the whole journey of like the of, previous films, and it ended on a high note in regards to that. I yeah, thought so. How, but that how this ended up actually in this movie, I actually like. That was yeah. actually a good call. Yeah. So basically, the way that they they maneuver this is instead they make that helmsman character uh, Sulu's daughter, 
Demora? Yeah, Demora yeah. Sulu. Mm-hmm. I want to say Demona, Sulu. but it's not also. No, it's yeah, it's Demora Sulu. Demora yeah. Sulu. So they they were able to kind of introduce uh, a daughter of an original series cast member uh, into that. Also, uh, Tim Russ uh, is an Enterprise Prince officer, and he would eventually, uh, you know, meet the producers on this set, and he would eventually get a big role in Star Trek Voyager. So good for him. The most notable thing about this movie's uh, production-wise is, again, very much taking everything from the next generation, from the sets to the composer to the production crew, uh, even to an extent, uh, the visual effects. The visual effects were actually split between Industrial Light and Magic and the in-house television team at Paramount that had been doing special effects for the uh, Next Generation show. Um, There was also, again, and and a lot of that stuff was, again, the the reusiveness. Like, originally, uh, there were designs to redesign the costumes for the Next Generation cast to reflect uh, the newer costumes that were being presented on Deep Space Nine. So you see that some of them have the black top with the mostly colored bottoms. You see sometimes Stewart's wearing the total black costume with the red top. Basically, there was just like a new thing everywhere else. And also, a lot of times they had borrowed costumes and pieces from Deep Space Nine to use. Uh, you can kind of very much tell with uh, LeVar Burton, who's uh, using a Deep Space Nine costume which is way too big on him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you can kind of tell he's swimming in it a couple times uh, throughout the movie. So, uh, but as I mentioned before, uh, David Carson as a director was just extremely, extremely efficient. Um, and, and, and it was just extremely smooth. Uh, that's something that also the cinematographer of the film, John A. Alonzo, uh, who was a legendary cinematographer, had done work for Chinatown and Scarface. And he said that more so than any other production he's ever been on, this was the one that felt most TV-like. And not just because of a cheapness, but just because of Carson's efficiency, that they were able to kind of get this uh, get this going. They kind of film a lot of it on sets and do reuse sets. So, for example, the Enterprise B was just a redress of the Excelsior from the Undiscovered Country. And then the... Uh, the sort of observatory that they that it get that they that they get the distress signal from is actually a redress of the Enterprise B, which is a redress of the um, you know Excelsior. Uh, but they basically just kind of redress it as a second layer. But they still get to do a lot of on uh, on location shooting, uh, kind of the big finale and, and that big planet where Soren's plans all kind of taking place is the Valley of Fire in Las Vegas, which was noted for its very much is its heat. There is the Picard's house that's used in the movie um, for kind of part of this, you know, kind of kind of dream nexus sequence was uh, an actual house in um, Pasadena. And Shatner's uh, kind of farm was actually shot on Shatner's real farm. Mm. Um, and a lot of it was on a Shatner's farm with some set stuff as well also of note there's the holodeck sequence at the beginning of the movie which was shot aboard the lady washington which fun fact is also the interceptor from pirates of the caribbean (laughs) awesome yeah so i've mentioned before the television series effects 
team and ILM teamed up to do a lot of the stuff on this movie. Basically, uh, the the Nexus ribbon was kind of the big CG effect of the movie, um, including one shot that that this was an industrial light and magic project. And their one big thing about this was. Um, there is a scene where the Enterprise gets extremely close to the ribbon. And they knew that on a big screen, there would have to be scrutiny. So again, this was still 94. What, this is like Jurassic Park, so it's right around this time period. This was still a time where CG was kind of getting to that development point of being like the main force of special effects in Hollywood. So they and their CG team had to be very careful and very scrutinous of the scene with the ribbon and all the effects, how it looked really up close. Cause a lot of times the CG, again, it's like kind of a far reaching effect or it's kind of this, you know, thing that they're doing. But again, as we kind of see around this era, it's like, we were getting a lot more with like, okay, you can do CG more up close and you can do CG more detailed. And so that's one, one of the big effects that they had to do. Um, though the big enterprise craft sequence was filmed with mostly uh, a model on a forest set so that they could get natural lighting for the sequence um, and was kind of based off of um, the original Enterprise model from uh, the pilot episode, uh, but they did build a 12-foot saucer uh, specifically for the crash as well. Basically, Paramount was very eager to get this out for the uh, winter of 1994 uh, to, again, to capture the, the end of the next generation series. And so uh, basically a lot of the cast went from filming the finale of the next generation immediately onto this movie. And the big marketing campaign was for this movie, again, very focusing on Kirk and Picard being in the same film. Uh, very notable about the marketing of this movie. History was made with this film. Star Trek Generations was the first ever motion picture to have its own website. <laughs> no way. Yes, it was legitimately the first ever motion picture to have a promotional website, which featured two different cuts of the trailer, uh, bios of all the cast and crew, and um, sort of like a, a history of Star Trek. And Fortunately, the web, unlike the Space Jam website, this website does not still exist anymore. <laughs> um, but but was a major sort of like push, and 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 it was said that um, in the early days of the web that this was a big hit, and it actually had over a million uh, views by the time the movie came out. That's great. Which was a big deal for that time period, for sure. I can tell you that much. But yeah, I think. Um, we've kind of discussed a general idea of the Star Trek Generations and the Next Generation uh, series and its film series. And I think it's time to get to the first of our four Next Generation films. Let's do it. Captain of the Enterprise. That's right. Close to retirement? I'm not planning on it. Let me tell you something. Don't. Don't let them promote you. Don't let them transfer you. Don't let them do anything that takes you off the bridge of that ship because while you're there, you can make a difference. Come back with me. Help me stop Soren. Make a difference again.
Who am I to argue with the captain of the Enterprise? What's the name of that planet? Viridian 3? Yes. I take it the odds are against us and the situation is grim. You could say that. You know, if Spock were here, he'd say that I was an irrational, illogical human being for taking on a mission like that. Sounds like fun. All right. All right. Time, everybody. Welcome to the next generation of Star Trek, um, which presents itself as Star Trek Generations, mm-hmm. which presents itself as a very strange beast of a movie. Um, yeah. I, you know what? So this was interesting because I had actually there was a long time where the only next generation movie I saw was the Tom Hardy one. Nemesis. Nemesis. Yeah. I remember there, there. That was the only one I had seen. So I didn't really start watching these until you started really diving deep into these a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I went back and I watched this one, and then, which I only knew because it had a pretty cool poster. It had a yeah, poster. the poster is pretty. Like, the poster is pretty nice, honestly. Dude, well, no, it's like that's like the thing. All right, so I'll get to that about the movie, and then and then the only so the only one I haven't seen is Insurrection. Which uh, be thankful that that's the that's the third one. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So I have thoughts on that, but I guess we'll save it to when we get that episode. Yeah. So you know, I, I will say this. So th- this was more of a refresher watch. Yeah. And yeah. for me, what was interesting, I didn't. It fared a little bit better on a rewatch for me. Yeah. And but the best I can say about it, though is that it reminds me a lot of like the first time out to bat for the original series and like the motion picture, but it's missing like the one saving grace about the motion picture was just like the grand scale and craft behind it. And unfortunately this movie doesn't even have that. that. Yeah. But it kind of just has like this same, like, okay, like it's technically, it feels like the show, and there's a lot of good stuff like when it kind of gets to the the what I like about the show it's pretty good but it also strangely it it's running on two it's a movie that's running on too little steam is yes. how i put it yeah and that, that's the yeah. thing yeah because i think it's a movie that actually has some strength at the beginning and i think it serves like that first I mean, we'll talk about the first like holiday the beginning is great the, the beginning. <laughs> The beginning is great, and like the first holodeck sequence is like a good introduction to like the 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 the, the relationship of these characters. And there's elements that like, you know, oh, like we're, there's something interesting here. And then all like it's just the movie falls off a cliff very like very quickly after that. Where you're right, it just doesn't have enough steam to sustain itself as. I don't even movie. know like if it for me because when I first saw it, I would agree with you that it fell off a cliff. This time it felt like you're going whale watching and then you see one right away, but then you have like 45 minutes left and you don't see another whale. Yeah. And then you kind of see it another one at the end. (laughs) It's kind of what this movie felt like because like that's a crazy analogy that works. And then by the time that you kind of see the whale at the end, you don't. You, you you just don't care anymore. Yeah, you're, like not gonna pre- you're not going to appreciate it. No, you, know, you, you don't appreciate it. And then 
so the thing is like if you look at the poster for this movie and then you watch like maybe the first let's say let's be generous half hour of the film mm-hmm. like you're just so ready you're like oh my god like you know it's gonna be it's gonna cross over it's got like the stuff i like at least for me it's got a lot of the stuff i liked about the original series and okay now we're into the next generation and and to the film's credit the one really really good thing that this movie does actually and i and maybe maybe i'm just a little biased but I thought it did a really good job of like tonally and aesthetically bridging like the feeling of like the the original series mm-hmm. with like the next generation series. So what I mean by that is like the big opening of the film with Kirk and everybody. Like to me, maybe that's just more so the actors, but that felt like like at least a modern day uh, original series. And then when you moved into the next generation stuff, I just like that then you are really fully embracing like this next cast of characters. So I was just kind of all about that. You know, I like a good crossover. So and that's like an element of like when the crossover, at least on a macro level, was working for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And because you get like all like the love you have had for Kirk and then you get to have fun with like the new characters and just on the flip side of it. Um, But it becomes so, but so for me, it doesn't fall off a cliff. It just kind of like, it goes and goes and goes and you're like, yeah, it's, it, it, it's still going. The the movie is continuing to happen. I I don't know if I care more or less than I did like five minutes ago. And, and then spoilers when they get to the big really like what you know the poster sold about the movie once they finally get there because i remember nick when you when when you when i was going through the movies like this was at least the thing i was like okay well at least it'll be kirk and picard and that's like the selling point of the movie but so and then by the time they get to that part of the movie it's it's way too late (laughs) and it does have some good stuff in it, but it's also not as nearly as good as it could be. Like that's no, just- no, it's not because it's like too. And and also, I didn't notice it. This is what I noticed on this watch. It became very clear that they really had no idea what story that they wanted to tell mm-hmm. with this. Mm, yes, and yes. it became because like Kirk came to a conclusion of three different types of his character arc within the course of like three scenes yes yeah yeah yeah. like is it like oh like it, it was at first it was like it was it, because then and then also since he's not in the movie for most of the time there's not there's there's not really an arc that tracks i mean no i think the thing that kind of worked is only because we just got finished watching all the other movies but if you were to go in this fresh like and you get to the end it's like okay is this a story about how he didn't have a family. Is it a story about he couldn't, like, you know, he could never like, quit, like, could never quit, like, or like that he misses it? Is it a story about like what's real, what's not? And then what they basically do is he comes to the conclusion and like it's all of those stories. Like he literally says like, "No, I've always wanted a family." And then the next scene, he's like, "You know what? I don't actually think this is about family. I think this is about the captain's chair." That's a literal line in the movie, and I'm like. Yeah, that's how it feels like this movie was written. It feels like that was a producer note. <laughs> yeah, I, I get I, I get the feeling. Like, yeah. there's just a feeling I get to just 
like I like again, it's like I, for all the credit and, and all the great writers that like in things that Ronald D. Moore and Brennan Berga have done. I, I just get the feeling maybe they're not the right people to write like for the original series cast. Just just with the stuff weird stuff with Kirk. Um like, even though there's some really fun elements of Kirk's character in here still, and like j- sort of the generic nature of the Spock slash Chekhov stuff later. Um, I, I just get the feeling they're very much more at home with their next generation characters, the, the characters that they've lived with over the course of the series. And I think you're right. I think like the thing, because I didn't mind Kirk in the film, but I think more of that is Shatner than yeah. what was the actual dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, you know, I, I, I would have liked to have had Bones in it. I, I, I think Bones would have been great. I actually do think Scotty like is a better option for being there because it's like they're seeing off the ship. Yeah, and I, mm-hmm. you know, that's not really Spock's right. deal. Yeah, but but there is that line when he's like, uh, like, oh, do we? It's like you have a. It's like is your medical staff is your is your medical wing staffed up? And it's like, oh no, not yet. And he's like, oh okay, well, congrats, you two are nurses. And that was such like a bones line. Yes. But you're right. But then Scotty also has the line where, you know, uh, he says something to Kirk and then Kirk's like, you know, you'd make a lousy psychiatrist. Like, with yeah. Ben's like but yeah. So it, there was a mishmash of. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah. But there was, you know, but they, they did cover their bases somewhat by at least giving somewhat of a nice line here and there. Like, you know, the whole. Check off saying like I don't remember being that young, and he's like, "No, you." It's like you were younger, and, and it was just like that. That's a nice little moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that mm-hmm. that's that's sweet. Um, and then the the bit with Sulu's daughter, I, I I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I but I like the again like the way where I stand on the movie is like I actually thoroughly enjoyed the first like twenty yeah. to thirty minutes. Well, of the I, movie. I think I think that opening sequence has a lot of fun. St- one stuff i think like you kind of get some yeah you get the uncomfortability of of shatner with the media which i thought was fun um i also love how th- this is a moment where like everything starts going to shit and you could just tell kirk is very eager to like step in but also he doesn't want to he really doesn't want to overstep alan ruck's like like authority right but like right. he but like alan ruck keeps like like he's also, Alan Ruck is like in no means of like leading an actual mission like this, mm-hmm. which is just like, and you can just like look at Kirk and he's standing up and he's like, "Wait, do you want like, can I, can I come in? No, no, that stuff is good." And like, and even like at one point where like Alan Ruck's character is like making a suggestion and you can see like Kirk like rolling his eyes, like, "Well, that's not gonna work." Yeah, and I also liked how all that was handled too because you know it, it's it's consistent with Kirk's character because like, you know, there is the nice moment where he does get control of like the, he, he gets put in, in the, at the helm or yeah, on the chair. Yeah. And you know, and then he does a double take and he's like, no, actually I, I, I should be the one to go down. This it's your ship. So, mm-hmm. and that remains consistent with, with how his that char- character. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Um, so because basically what happens is they're seeing off this ship and, there's a future bottle of Dom Perignon that like gets thrown through space in the opening credits and hits the ship. And, you know, they're there for the ceremony of the new enterprise B it's the new ship, um, you know, that'll carry on the enterprise legacy, but 
and it's going to be a, a nice little mission to Pluto and back, just kind of a, a showcase of of the ship when they get a distressed call that these two ships are kind of caught in this mysterious energy wave. And of course, they're the only ship in the sector. Um, uh, but not, they're, not, not, they don't get anything else until Tuesday. No, yeah, they, they're ill-equipped. They don't have four-ton good, torpedoes. Good running gag. Good running yeah, gag that, like that. that. that the, the last things of the ship are like the four-ton torpedoes and, and the tractor beam aren't being installed till Tuesday. So they're trying to save these ships. One ship is destroyed and the other ship they're able to save uh, 49 out of like 130 people which includes uh malcolm mcdowell's character and whoopi goldberg they're both on this this ship um and of course like uh tolly and Sor- uh, uh it's a good name too by the way uh solon uh, he's like, you know, basically going crazy. Like, we gotta get back there. I gotta go back. We gotta get yeah, back. Yeah, he he pulls a Jack from Lost. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and then Whoopi Goldberg's in in the corner, and Chekhov helps her out. Uh, but eventually, you know, the the Enterprise is also caught in this thing, and they gotta get out of there. And yeah, basically, Kirk makes the sacrifice, um, and is seemingly killed uh, in action in saving the Enterprise B. And that is a dramatic way to, uh, and even because again, it's just so clear that it was supposed to be bones because it's Scotty that kind of discovers it first. And then Chakov comes is like, Oh my God, was anybody in here? And then you could just see bones being like, yes, yes, there was. And, and sort of that kind of like seeing off his friend. So, but anyways, it's, it's a fun opening moment of the movie and it kind of gets you back into like, like the, 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 the crack that the, yeah, the quirkiness of things and, and the original series nature of thing. And again, it does kind of get you excited for like, okay, what happened to Kirk? And like, how is he going to get involved with Picard? And of course we don't find that out for a good majority of the movie instead. Uh, next though, we do get, um, because, uh, and, I, and I don't remember you may in, and I think we touched upon this briefly, but the whole, this was what was so interesting to me because I learned about how rigid they were about, you can't cross these two over traditionally. It's, it's two completely different time periods. It, it, you can't even do it casually. So like part of it, I was, when I first saw it, I was interested in it. How are they going to bridge mm-hmm. that gap? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's just, again, it was just kind of like the nature of just how these two things were going. It wasn't like for a lack of like interest. It was just, again, a mixture of Paramount's unwillingness to kind of pay big bucks. It was just, the original series cast has just gotten to a point where, you know, they were older and they were kind of expensive and they were, you know, just kind of doing their own thing. And it was also just like at this point, like what the actual idea was. So this is kind of what it all kind of coalesced into this, um, which I guess we'll we'll continue to discuss. But I think we've talked about our original series, you know, opening sequence are kind of cold open to not cold open, but are, are kind of prologue to an extent. But now we got to introduce ourselves to the main cast of characters for this movie, The Next Generation, in which we seemingly find them on a ship at sea. Uh, and it's just actually holodeck fun, which is one of the uh, unique things about The Next Generation is the creation of the holodeck, where they are uh, the crew, most specifically uh, Picard and Riker, are uh, seemingly have Worf as prisoner, but are actually giving him a promotion aboard the enterprise D and it's just the crew having some silly nonsense, um, which includes at one point they're like, they've given him this promotion and 
they're doing like the okay bring out the plank he's got to grab his new hat you know from from jumping off the plank and you know no one's ever done it before and of course wharf with his superior klingon you know physicalness like jumps up leaps up grabs the hat and he's like yeah everybody does it and then riker's like computer delete the plank and the plank disappears and Worf literally does like a wily e. coyote like double take like in the air where he like looks down looks up like uh-oh splashes <laughs> down into the water which is which is fun and i think what i like about this scene is i really do like how it kind of show it showcases like again a unique thing about the next generation this holodeck and, and kind of showcases you the the further technology it's in the future while also i think really showcasing that that very specific different from the original series family dynamic that these characters have and sort of the, the, the specific ways that they interact with each other. I, I thought that this was also a very fun kind of opening sequence. Cause then you also get like, again, introduction to the data's character and his relationship with uh, Georgie, where he's trying to figure out why it's funny that Worf, you know, um, you know, fell in the water and it's like Gates McFadden, you know, Beverly Crusher's like, you got to live a little, live in spontaneity. And then Data pushes her off the boat and everybody's like, that wasn't funny. And Data's <laughs> like very confused. There's some really nice introduction stuff of just kind of showcasing this crew and these characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, But of course the, the, uh, the festivities and the fun are um, kind of come to an end uh, prematurely on two fronts. Because uh, Picard gets a message on Earth, which clearly distresses him. And basically, you know, he, he, he leaves immediately. And then not so long after that, there is a red alert that this kind of observatory has been attacked and has a distress call. So they're all heading out on, on red alert to this, to this observatory. Um, so, yeah. And, and I guess this kind of starts off the, the various plot lines of this movie. Uh, in terms of the next generation cast, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think that it, it's a pretty, you know, just a thorough kind of like, you know, but one one thing that's interesting about that I always give leeway and that I definitely enjoy about like these movies, movies based off of TV shows, is that especially something like Star Trek. I mean, there's a level of yeah, it's it's a good kind of like quick introduction to like everybody, but you you can tell that the movie doesn't feel the necessity to be like this is this character this is what this character does this is this character's relationship they don't spend too much time on it so it becomes more about like showing them as a unit yes because the, you you can just tell that there's a sense of like all right you guys have been watching the shows and now here's the movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So there, yeah. there's a and, little bit of credit given that you kind of get the sense of who this was. By contrast, you do feel that way that they kind of really got you up to speed thematically and with the story with like Kirk and mm-hmm. like what his situation was. Like there's a little bit more um, context to that giving than the crew. And I guess it's a long, what I'm just trying to say, it's a long winded way of saying it's a really efficient, but fun audience, a smart way of just like, you know, just drop us back right. into the show. Cause even if you've never really, if you maybe you haven't kept up the show, you know that these characters have been together for, you know, years. It's just cause you know, this, even if you don't know the show specifically, you know, it's been on for years and they had a specific relationship. So I think you can kind of get a general sense of who everyone is, but again, focusing on, there are specific kind of characters in this film and sort of their relationships with each other. 
I think are, are most important. And I think that scene does do a good job at kind of showcasing that. Well, it reminds me of like, you know, kind of like the, um, you know, not often, but sometimes criticism of like, this was especially going around during like the Infinity War Endgame era of Marvel, where it's like, there was that like, oh, well, you just kind of get dropped in and like, you know, they don't really introduce characters, you're just kind of supposed to know them. And, but it's kind of you, it's kind of similar to this in which like, listen, I mean, this was a in the same way where like, you know, all those superhero movies, like, they're just part of the zeitgeist. Yeah. I mean, Star Trek is, this was a show that like was part of like the television zeitgeist. Like everybody kind of knew. And if you didn't, you knew it well enough that you could really just drop in as if it was just another episode of the show. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think that there was enough familiarity with, again, especially the major characters where you can do that. I think enough people knew who Picard was and who data was to kind of like, showcase those characters there's also a level of like if you're the person who's really going to be turned off because like you're not given the complete introduction to each of these characters you're probably not the person who's going to go see a star trek movie yeah <laughs> like even like i think there's a little bit of credit or people don't realize like even the most casual person like they'll they can they can get it it's all space nonsense to them so it's it's yeah it, it's good but anyway so overall like yeah just a good efficient way of just getting in, in, in there. And, and we get some in all this time, we also get some classics. We get to make it. So, which I enjoy. We do. <laughs> we get to make it. So, um, and, uh, so it was kind of fun getting into them. Like, ah, oh, then, then we're getting all the catchphrases now too. Yeah. Uh, so basically again, we have kind of Picard dealing with this, you know, seemingly whatever's bothering him, which we'll figure out as a personal tragedy. We have this investigation into this attack by Romulans on this space station, and the uh, the crew of the uh, Enterprise D are introduced to Tolian Soren, who we 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 saw in the opening sequence, as well as we also have a scene where again uh, Data is with his cat. Very important to have the cat in the movie. Uh, I was talking about this with my girlfriend actually. That uh, Star Trek is very surprisingly very has a lot of cats throughout its history. Um, because she was surprised to find a gif of Spock holding a black cat. I'm like, yeah, no, there's <laughs> there's a lot of cats in the original series. There's a lot of cats in the next generation. Um, so he and uh, Dad and and Georgie are talking about, you know, him again. Dad is need to understand what it's like to be human and to to continue his you know further closeness relationships and humans. And so he decides that this emotion chip that he got from his brother Lore at one point. Um, that he's sort of been debating whether or not to place into himself. He's finally going to experience emotion for the first time. Uh, so that becomes a big part of Data's character throughout the entire film is him dealing with the uh, varied amounts of human emotion and how it affects his performance as a member of the Enterprise crew. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because this is where it's like clearly like you know they are treating him like the spock of the of the series and and you know it's it's a lot of like i'm a robot how do i feel so mm-hmm. you know it, some of it is just kind of like old hat but it really just comes down to brent spiner like just kind of crushing it like yes. i mean he's just great in the role i so mean yeah it, he's yeah he's it, like again it's just 
it's something with like these types of characters, like again, with Spock and with kind of data, it's like, you just, they have to be played in the right way because if you, it's very easy to like be off on those types of characters and make them sort of not fun to watch and, and kind of like annoying and miserable in some respects. And like some of the worst Spock writing and some of the worst data writing kind of goes into that. But it's also a testament to the performances of, you know, and, and, Data is not an easy character to play, and, and and Spiner has said that it's like something that he relishes is that he was able to play that character for so long, um, and to really be able to showcase a new side of Data and just kind of all the craziness that happens is sort of this kind of again kind of humorous plot line throughout the film, and Spiner gives it his all. Like Spiner puts all his energy into kind of making this performance work especially because it's very different than the way he's ever had to play data in the past and and i mean ultimately they like from my understanding and you can say if i'm wrong or not but they they kind of do in many ways the legacy is that they treat the picard data relationship as like the closest thing to like a kirk spock relationship essentially yeah or it's like yeah because it's like he has that relationship with picard and then like also he has a big you know, friendly relationship with, with Jordy, uh, as they, you know, the engineer who's always kind of fixing them up too. So those yeah. are the kind of two main relationships that, that data has, but they do, especially once we get into kind of the later, you know, you kind of know nemesis and especially into, uh, the next film, they, they, and uh, insurrection as well, that the, the next three films really do kind of showcase a lot about the Picard data relationship in, in yeah. various- in various yeah, ways. In a way where it's like kind of one of those hidden retroactive kind of like uh, plots throughout a series of films. Like well, yeah, Data yeah. kind of has his own little kind of like storyline that will yeah. end up going through all of these films. Yeah, and, and, and the Picard and Data relationship is like has very, been very important to the, the series as well. I mean, the, the film, or the, the, the episode that... Um, a lot of people credit as the first great next generation episode is the one where Picard has to defend data's right as a sentient being and has to prove in court that data is not owned to be owned, but he's a sentient being, which is an incredible episode. And I, I measure of a man, I recommend seeking it out on Paramount plus uh, if you have that. Um, so there's, there's a lot of fun to be had with, with data, but eventually they go to this, um, yeah, this observatory, and they find it attacked by Romulans, and they find Tolly and Soren, and they bring him back to the ship, and 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 I, I, you could tell like there's other scenes where Picard's still rattled, where you know Riker's giving him the down low on the like what happened on the thing and what they found, and it's you know Picard tells Riker to tell Starfleet Command, and Riker's like immediately taken aback because it's always Picard who deals with it, and and you know are you okay? Like he's trying to get Picard's being very internalized on this um but eventually they all go to the 10 forward bar of course where we see gurian um where data enjoys a drink he hates um, that was fun i like that, that was fun uh it's just it's just a, a, a perfect amount of line where he's like i think i hate this more please mm-hmm. like yeah. he just yeah. likes <laughs> but yeah. also at this point is when picard meets uh torian solon and who's very desperate to get back to the observatory as he has uh, a very important project that is very time sensitive. And that's where yep. we get the it, line. It, it, there's just so much Malcolm McDowell being Malcolm McDowell in yes. this film. It, it's pretty great. Time is the fire in which we burn that. I mean, it's just like, you know, when you deliver that type of line, 
that's again like I can I can see why McDowell just wanted to say that line. And like, can I why... say okay I, before I forget? This is one thing I did want to say about Soren though, because the one thing I forgot was what I know. I, I kind of remembered like he is basically like a wants to cheat death for the Nexus thing. Like I got his plan, but I forgot like what his like his like species situation was. Yeah. So there was like all I just remember it was this whole thing about how like you so basically i forgot that him and whoopi goldberg were aliens yeah so there is like this whole thing where it's like well they this is like kind of like you know the concocted reason for how do you get kirk and and uh and picard together yeah it's like so basically just you know have basically a time nexus thing so then i was like but wait a minute well like dude i okay Last night when I was watching this, I spent a good like ten minutes in my head overthinking this because I was like, "Wait, so how are Whoopi Goldberg and Malcolm McDowell? How are they in the movie though?" And then I was like, thinking, "So okay, maybe they're trying to do a thing where maybe like Whoopi Goldberg was like her character was like twenty, and then they're trying to do that weird movie thing where it's like she was twenty at the time, even though she definitely doesn't look twenty. And I was like, "But Malcolm McDowell should be ancient by now." And then, and then. And then, like, literally, like, like uh, 15 minutes later, they're like, he's an alien. He's, like, 300 years old. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> whatever. They mentioned that at the beginning because, I mean, obviously, this is already part of Gurnian, uh, Gurnian's um, backstory in the show. But their species, their planet was destroyed by the Borg. Yeah. So the mm-hmm. ships they were on in, in the uh, original series era were refugee ships mm-hmm. um, from their from their home planet. Right, and right. Also, also because, like, if you know the series, you also know that, um, especially Gurdian, um, there's an implication. It's never really, like, explicitly said, but there's an implication that there's a lot more to her in terms of her, like, ability to, like, uh, for insight mm-hmm. oh, and, yeah, and yeah, her yeah. powers that, like, then, then she ever lets on. Like, she directly, like, challenges Q at one point, which is a big deal. Well, yeah. I mean, well, she has the big hat, so you know yeah. <laughs> there's something going on. Yeah, that's then, all I ever knew about Whoopi Goldberg. It's like sometimes she served drinks and she had the big hat. So, so right. like, and and but she, there's like a mythical element to her yeah. that's mm-hmm. throughout the series too, and even even plays a part in this movie. Yeah, later down the line. Uh, but I also like the 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 missed connection where Sorian looks at his watch and then he realizes that Whoopi Goldberg's in the room. He's like, "Oh shit, I got to get out of here." Mm-hmm. And then Whoopi Goldberg's like. That was weird. I felt felt something really strange there. Oh, well, presence I've not felt since. <laughs> yes. Um. So basically, the the movie kind of again. This is where we kind of get into like the movie continues because then it's like they're investigating this thing on the ship. Picard finally reveals that um his brother and his nephew died in a fire, um, and that's like why he's been so broken up over the over the beginning part of this movie is you know he's supposed to bring in his nephew next month to uh like uh take a tour of starfleet academy and the whole picard line and the lineage and the history and like how that pressure and everything like that we get that stuff uh data continues to uh you know have issues with his emotions and not being able to really kind of control them uh, we're here in uh, Jordy uh, uh, are on the space station and they find this kind of secret room. Mc- McDowell comes back and basically kidnaps uh, Jordy and, um, uh, you know, basically makes Data cry 
um and fear uh yeah and and there's i mean there's this, there's definitely like fun elements like again the spiner given the big whole open sesame and like remembering a joke from the pilot of the show that's just like really funny oh is that now. is that is that what that is yeah, like the Farpoint incident is uh, the the is a, is an episode from the the, the it's oh, a pilot. Oh, that's fun. I like the, that. The, that. The pilot is uh, the journey to um, encounter at Farpoint. Um, that's the that's a yeah the pilot of, of the uh, next generation. Which yeah, that's a fun fun thing to reference. Um, but eventually, yeah, like everything's kind of like going to shit because we find out that McDowell is um, in in. Uh, has a relationship with Klingons and not just any Klingons, the, the sisters who also are from the original, from the, from the next generation series uh, who are part of this Klingon faction to restore the, the once oh. great Klingon empire. So they're from the show They're They too originally appeared on episodes of the show. All right. I'll be less critical of them then. If they're if they're a re- if they're a returning character, then I won't. Yeah, as far as I know, yeah, the the sisters are definitely characters from the show. Um, yeah, no, no, uh, yeah, the the Duras sisters they appeared in two episodes of the show. They even appeared in Deep Space Nine, um, and in Star Trek Generations. Okay, all right, yeah, not my favorite part of the film. Yeah. But well, th- th- that's like the thing where it's like, obviously, like that's some of that stuff where you just do have to be careful when adapting, especially for television to movie, because like on the one hand, it's like, yes, like a general audience is going to know like, OK, Picard's the captain and he has a, you know, Riker is the right hand man and Data's the android like you're going to know. And like and the reading rainbow guy has the visor like you're going to know that. But like taking these two Klingon characters from like two episodes of the show. Like that's where you just you're gonna have to be a little bit careful about how you go about it and introduce them and everything like that. See, I, I think for me it was mostly it was just it just feels like the most obligatory part of the movie where they yeah. need a bad guy and I don't know it, it's fine it, like yeah. it didn't bother me as much this time around but it just kind of seemed in this movie and I guess like especially now after you you kind of got over because if you watch these movies in a row the last movie was all about like this the klingon piece so to kind of have right. like the klingon villain even though i knew i do know that's still going on in the show just seems the most well, uninspired well, and, and, but but it's also because like again like we have like you know a klingon character as part of the crew and again we've we've already done a lot of exploration on the show wise in terms of kind of the more expanded klingon culture that I feel like this is almost kind of a step back in terms of that deeper exploration that the undiscovered country and the next generation show have already like made the Klingon so much more than just being kind of like the villains that he, Mm -hmm. he gets with, we gets with. Um, So, but, but you know, there's there like, uh, um, you know, there's this whole thing where, you know, they have uh, George Doherty on the, uh, on the Klingon ship and Malcolm McDowell's going to, uh, you know, um, torture him. Data is having regrets about, um, you know, his actions from an emotional standpoint. And again, it's the whole thing where it's like, I, I don't want to be, you know, I want to be shut down until I can remove it. And Picard's like, I need you. Cause you're still data and you still 
are like, you know, very important to how the ship is run. Also, I should mention that, yeah, the the reason that Solian wanted to go back to his thing is he needed to blow up a star. Um, and they figured that the they basically figure out his plan is to get back to the Nexus, which is this kind of mysterious time energy wave. Um, and, and uh, as they find out that uh, um, Gurian was on the same ship as uh, uh, Solon when the Enterprise B was, uh, uh, you know, attacked and or, or say or when Kirk died, they know that th- th- that incident's very famous because Kirk died in it. Um, and so Gurian describes the Nexus as kind of a place where time doesn't exist, where basically all your dreams come true. Um, and it's like, you know, it's basically pure joy. And even I didn't want to escape from there. And when I knew I couldn't go back, I accepted it. But uh, if, if, if uh, Torin is um, still upset about it and still obsessed with it, he's a very dangerous man. I, I, I do love Star Trek does it a lot, but also other movies do it a lot, too, where like he's like, I think he's trying to make a weapon. And then he's like, there he's not interested in weapons. He's interested in something much more dangerous. <laughs> he's interested. He's like, he's interested in science, the most dangerous weapon of all. <laughs> um, I do. I did like the scene with with uh, D- I like when. I like investigation stuff, so I like when Data and Picard are trying to figure out exactly what's going on with this thing in this big like observatory room where they can just like zoom in on stars. I thought that was some some fun stuff. And yeah. because I, I also think it's because like, I mean, there was a reason that people were very excited when Data and, and Brett Spiner were coming back for the Picard show is that Patrick Stewart and Brett Spiner have a great chemistry with each other mm-hmm. uh, and play. I mean, and I think I mean that's something that's I I, I always talk about actors who really play off other actors very well. And I've always found that to be of Patrick Stewart's strengths is like him and Spiner are really great. Him and uh, Frank's are really great too together uh, at, at that Picard and, and, and Stewart always gives a lot to his fellow performers. And I think that him and him and Spiner especially uh, are very good together. And I think mm-hmm. we're only going to see that going forward. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know it's good. Again, it's it's the stuff. It's the stuff which is good, but you know it's the stuff like these emotions are they're a lot. I can't I can't deal, bro. And then yeah. he's like, "You can deal, bro. You will deal, bro. You can and you will." And so there's a lot of that. But mm-hmm. as I said before, it, you know it, it's Spiner and and um. Stewart are really they're they're just selling it like they, I mean yeah. they're just good at doing it. So. But this is this is really where the movie starts like you you're just kind of going along for a certain. Oh amount. yeah, oh yeah, no one hundred. That's what I mean. It's like, it's like you this really because yeah. it's really like again it's just like okay, well they eventually do like they they're like okay, well he's going to like Valerian three or whatever planet it is, and he's gonna basically you know explode this other star, kill billions of other people just so he can get like the nexus wave to him because it he can't be there in a shift but if the if the nexus wave like gets direct contact with him he'll like return to the nexus so it's like okay we got to get to this planet they go to the planet they encounter the klingons the klingon sisters who... did, did did we i'm sorry did we um go over what picard's deal is in the film yet I, I mentioned it that he found out his brother and his nephew. Okay. Died. Yeah, 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 yeah. They they died in a fire. Yeah. Um, and a very tragic fire, and like you know, he was. Again, he mentioned that um, you know, he was going to show his nephew around Starfleet, and like 
now the pressure's back on him to continue the Picard family legacy. Right, right. Yada, yada, yada. And if I were to be generous about the film, like this, this is ultimately because then you got it. Like, what is what is the real story of the film? So if I were to be generous, I would assume that the story is really about facing mortality, really. Yeah. Like, and it's yeah. about because he because, you know, Picard, you know, he's worried about his family line. Um, and, you know. Well, Soren uh, is like, you know, his whole family died by yeah, the Borg. his whole thing is like escaping death. Right, his whole family died by the Borg, and he can go into the Nexus, you know, basically have his ideal life and never, you know, never have to worry about anything. Uh, uh, and then, da- yeah. Yeah, Data is like feeling like human emotions. And, and like reg- and regret, and, yeah. and it's one of those things where like he's worried about, because he doesn't know if, if uh, Georgie's alive, right? You know, you know, he's been captured by, you know, the Klingons and, and Soren. So um, he's like kind of guilty about that. And like whether, you know, and he's you can see him becoming relieved when he finds out that, you know, Georgie's still sorry, he's still alive. And then you have Kirk, who his whole thing is like, you know, is like what kind of life is he leaving behind? And we already kind of talked about how messy they tell that story yeah but basically what you're kind of hearing from me is like there's all these things where yeah you could kind of pretzel your way into kind of explaining how all of these are all about like mortality and life and blah 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 but but you're also hearing me having to pretzel that stuff in so it's like and it really strikes me that like as we're talking about all the in retrospect all the plot points it really is just kind of like a series of like this character's going through this thing and this character's going through this thing and they're all vaguely connected under one theme that doesn't really neatly coalesce into a forward moving story. No, it's just because it's again it's just the movie just sort of starts the plot wise especially just starts to kind of go forward like it just kind of move but and not, then also like, because not so, moving a good way, but it's no, just no, no, like because, moving because Picard is like, it's never like, so he, he goes into the Nexus at one point. Right. And then he, the only reason I'm saying this is because, so he goes there and then he's like, Oh my God, this is so nice, but oh, it's a bummer. It's not real. Oh, well, let's get on with the movie. <laughs> it's not even like, you know, it's not even like a big kind of yeah, like, I'll just, yeah, I'll discuss that too. I want yeah. to kind of get to that point, but also like yeah, where no, yeah, where were we? Uh, so I'm we're sorry. basically at the point where they're at the planet and they're going to do the prisoner exchange, where you know Picard's like, "You can take me as prisoner, bring Georgie back, but um, just let me go down to the planet and talk to Soren." And so basically they do that, but like they kind of trick him where Soren's built a t- like a force field around his like project, so Picard actually can't get inside. Meanwhile, like they bring Jordy back and they, we find out that they have like a camera, um, like they put a, they hacked into his camera so the Klingons can see what's going on because the, they want to attack the Enterprise, but they can't get through the shields. So they're trying to get the shield data so they can do yada, yada, yada. One point Klingon, the Klingon sisters are like, uh, like human women are the ugliest. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Um, Data sings at one point, which I like a lot, Um, which was improvised, by the way, because he was supposed to hum when he was like looking for light forms. 
yeah. then he just started singing like tiny little life forms, like whatever. But that like it's fun. funny because you can see the whole cast like just look at him, and that was just because like they weren't expecting him to sing. Um, gets uh, you know, on the surface of the planet, which the other thing is like, listen, like I get that you're like the whole, on the one hand, I get that the whole idea is that Soren's building this thing on this desolate planet, so no one would find him. On the other hand, this planet is like not that interesting to look at. Like just this whole kind of generic kind of desert mountain area. No, yeah. This, it, does, it does not lend itself to be like entertaining flair, especially when the final fight of the movie also happens there. There's just not a lot of visual splendor to be had. But they have more discussions and we get another Malcolm McDowell line where he's like, time is a predator stalking you and it'll eventually take you away. And I'm going to make sure I never get taken away by this predator called time. That's not the line, but he basically says that. Yeah. Um, Picard finds that there's a hole in the force field through a mountain of rocks and tries to stop Soren. Eventually, uh, Jordy takes in the Klingon's eyes forever to get to the shield stuff because they're like, he must be the only Starfleet engineer never to go to engineering, which is kind of a funny gag in the sense that like Jordy is also like everywhere on the ship. Right. Yeah, uh, even yeah, even I, more I, I, even more so than Scotty. Like Jordy is basically like everywhere on the ship. He's very major, but he does eventually get the shields. The Klingons attack. Um, it's a nice little space battle. Eventually the Enterprise gets the upper hand, but they're basically toast. On the one hand, on the planet, Picard tries to stop Sword and fails to stop him. And, uh, you know, he shoots his thing. He destroys the star, destroys the other planet. And the Nexus wave takes him over as the Enterprise is falling uh, to its doom, uh, which also adds another scene where um, they're trying to, like, get everybody in the saucer because that's, like, the one thing that's going to survive. So you just see, like, Jordy and, like, I think it's, I think it's a crusher if I remember correctly. I think or might be what someone else they're just taking kids and they're like, we'll find the parents later. We got to save them. And then they have the one shot of the kid dropping her teddy bear. And she's like, no, Okay, I I will say that. So this is what really, but why are there kids on this ship? I get it. I get it. It's like a, it's a bigger ship than they always let on. And there are families on it, but like, Come on, man. These ships are always getting into trouble and they're always fighting aliens. Why are there children on it? Right. Well, well, it's just, you know, we, we, we in the future, we have a lot of like, you know, you know, mothers have to work, too. Well, yeah, no, they can work. But I'm just like, that's how progressive we are as a society. We don't have we don't have money. We're beyond those human squabbles right now. And our children are going to die just as much as us when we go to space. Yeah, that, that, that's that's just how progressive we are. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Oh, that bugged me so much. I was like, why are there? And you're right. And then like the teddy bear, I'm like, oh, no. Like, Well, oh, that's the- just it's just another thing to add to the, the theme of mortality. That teddy bear is dead. Yeah. And, you know, and there's the, nothing you can do about it. Time the- is a predator even to teddy bears the the stakes have never been higher especially because data swears yeah he does yeah he's like oh shit um yeah but i mean again it's just it almost like the thing about the destruction of the enterprise d especially when watching all these movies in a row it is like a well done sort of like sequence and there's there's a lot of just sort of 
the kind of the, the drama of it, but it's also something that's like, there is kind of the more like, even when you think about like the destruction of the original enterprise in, in search for Spock, there's just a lot more weight to that moment mm-hmm. than here. Just because I just don't know if like, like, yes, we've come to love the enterprise D and it's all its specific intricacies and it's hollow decks and everything, but there's just not as much of a like big, Oh shit moment as when like the original enterprise got destroyed. Um, and it's also because like, just again, the, where the film is, it's like, just like, I don't, again, I don't need the biggest stakes, but just like, you're like, Oh, this one planet we don't know anybody on. It has like 130 million people. And if the star is destroyed, it's destroyed too. Yes. I get it. Like we don't want the genocide, this whole planet, but there's also just no stakes to anything that's really happening here. You know, like the kind of stuff that's in the nexus. It's like, again, it's just sort of that none of it feels real. It's just none of it feels like big and momentous. Like it just feels like okay, the saucer landed on the earth. It's it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we get to this nexus scene where Picard it has a family in a very old old timey English home, I guess. Like just the way that everybody was dressed was very like odd. Like does he think of himself in the eighteen hundreds? Like it feel it felt that way. But also, like- yes, no, yeah, because it was like, because that, you know, he's always like that. He's always like yearning for simpler time or well, like does, yeah. musing over. And, and then they he mentioned he, that. Yeah, you're right. At the beginning yeah. of the movie, you're right. You're right. Because he's like, it was just the open sea, you know, like no communication with anybody, like, oh, yada, yada, yada. So he has this whole, whole thing where he's like the joy of him having a family and his, his kids and his, his nephew's still alive. And he has his like sister and everything. It's It's all that sort of. You yeah, know. it's nice. It's fine. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's fine. nice. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. But eventually, uh, a, a, an echo of Gurian appears to him. It's like, listen, remember what I told you? Remember what I told you? It's none of it's is it's real. It's yeah, you you can't escape if you if you get deep into it. And he's like, well, no, I I gotta defeat Soren. Um, you know, we have to go, we have to go back. It's like the the because this is also where the, like the the weird Nexus stuff like. Again, to sort of like having a cake and eat it too, because like at one point it's like, okay, it's like kind of a thing where time doesn't exist and like all your joys come true. But then it's also like, but also at the same time, it can drop you off at any point in history. It's like, yeah, well, you I, can, you can get off the ride at any point. Right, anywhere. It's like, well, well, I need to go back to the point where we, I failed to stop soaring. It's like, is it like a time travel thing or is it like, like a, an like a pocket dimension. It kind of wants to be both, but it never really fully. Well, like, no, I, that. I I will say I I I gathered it. I I thought that tracked. I mean, it's like you're in this kind of you're you're in this kind of essential. I took it as like you're in a pocket dimension outside of time where time doesn't exist, so you can yeah. just live out your fantasy forever. Uh, and you can get, but when you leave since time isn't a factor you can basically get out Go. whenever you want yeah yeah um which i just also love like just skipping ahead it's just like when you want to leave you're just like okay i'm leaving now because yeah, like, th- that's more of what it is it's it's like oh you could just hop off the ride right because like when, when when kirk and picard just are like okay we're gonna go stop soren they literally like walk off and it's just like a white light and then they're kind of back in time or whatever um so basically he's like well I can't do it alone. You know, you're not going to be able to get out of here alone, but I know someone who can help you. And from his perspective, he's just arrived too. And it's Kirk and mm-hmm. he's chopping wood 
and he's being a little Kirkish. Yeah. I mean, like, there was no other cinematic way to reveal this man. Just a just a light pan out of the bushes while he's like. I mean, listen, the, the dude has been missing for the entire movie, essentially, at this point. So yeah. you're like, oh, yeah, like, instead of it being like, I don't know, I, I wasn't there at the time. So maybe when people saw the movie, they're like, oh, my God, it's Kirk. But, like, when I saw it, I'm like, oh, yeah, Kirk, Kirk's in the movie. That That's neat. Th- like, this could have been the moment where it's like. I don't know. I, I just felt that there was a more interesting visual language that they could have done. Oh, 100%. Like, like, it really doesn't feel like that big of a deal, weirdly enough. Like, it really just feels very casual that these two guys are are uh, together on screen. When it should be, like, the biggest deal because it's the two Enterprise captains and they're together. And, and they and, do get some good stuff together, but also, it's, it's again, it's just a whole scenario. It's just so odd. Well, let me let me give this positive before I kind of get a little bit more negative but like them bouncing off each other is is fun to see like that is enjoyable and and you know there's a level of you know kirk has has always been wrestling with back and forth with his end days as a you know his his twilight years and his his end end days as a captain Mm -hmm. and jean and jean-luc picard is like somebody who doesn't that's really doesn't play as much of a factor with him like you know he's thinking about the family line but he's like right now a captain through and through right like he he has a focus on the duty of like okay well this man destroyed a whole planet and killed a whole bunch of people and i have to stop him well yeah but just even in but just even in like in life yes yeah the grand scheme of of things like even when as he's because even as he's dealing with all of this like he's still able to kind of try to figure out like what what the deal is and he's trying to be a leader and a captain and 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 kirk is again the interesting thing is again kirk has been technically quote-unquote dead for you know 70 80 something years at this point but you know he from his perspective he's also arrived here too so he's also discovering like his old dog butler is back alive and his his other long love of antonia is like listen like listen i want to make eggs for everybody you know, and he has his like alien his, eggs, his alien eggs. And, you know, which is, again, like there's some of the weird Kirkisms, which I love, which is him like trying to like get through this discussion while cooking mm-hmm. eggs is, is just a fun little thing that like that older Kirk, I could see like kind of him kind of doing in this kind of retirement years. Yeah. But like there's, so there's a bit in the movie, and this is where I'm saying like his whole arc is all over the place because he basically is like saying like, well, I was a captain for this all this time and look where it got me. Like, you know, I never got to have a family, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I, I'm not going to leave behind an empty house this time. Well, right? cause, yeah, because uh, the, so yeah, the whole thing is that he's figured out that he's on the day that he told his like second love of his life, Antonia, that he was mm-hmm. going back to Starfleet again. And he's like, he, it's like the day he told her. And he's like, I made these eggs to soften the blow. And you know what? This time I'm not, I'm, I'm going to live my life out with her type of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, but like, I get, so it's like, okay, so they're playing off the whole, oh, when did Sulu have time to start a family? 
Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's what they're playing off of. Dude, that was a feature-length movie ago that you brought this up. <laughs> I don't, re- like, I, even if I remember that, I'm not tracking the emotional thematics of that from a feature-length movie ago, something that you haven't brought up since. What are you doing? <laughs> like, that, And that's, like, kind of, like, like, it would be different if... There, there's a couple things they could have done. Either a, just do a couple different things to like, just kind of make just a stronger thematic through line. Like, like it would be different. Two things could have been done better, I thought, and it's not too much of rewriting. But a, they should have found a way to keep Kirk and like maybe the original Enterprise legacy in play more. Yeah. So that way, you emotionally still track that. So then, by the time Kirk shows up. It, it, it just feels like a natural extension of everything you've been doing. I, I thought that was a big missing element of the film. Or, like, you know, or tell the story about how maybe, like, Picard, you know, because he's thinking about his family life, maybe, like, he really wants to not be captain anymore or something. I, I don't know. Something like that. And then, like, because, like, because then, like, and then that could be, like, the lesson that one imparts onto the other, or it could just be something that combines, like, their two stories together. But there's none of that. So it's just kind of, like, it's fun to see them bounce off each other. And then, it, and then, but then the rest of it is just, because at this point, Picard has nothing else to go through emotionally in the movie. No, no, he's very much, like, the one track of, you know, because it's also at this point, it's, like, all we have in the movie is to follow Picard because the Enterprise Z has crashed and we're not going back to any of those characters anytime soon either. So all we have is Picard for the rest of the film too. So, and, he, and he's basically kind of done with his arc to an extent. Um, he's basically looks like we got to save today. We got to get to, to Soren because then, you know, he's going to go deliver breakfast in into his, his like lover's room. But then, when they enter the room, they're finding the barn. Uh, Kirk goes horseback riding and jumps over a ravine. And then he realizes, hey, none of this is real. So there's no fear. So it's not worth yeah, living. It, but, it, but it's all these like vagaries of like, you know, about like you, this. This was my life. Like and but maybe it's not my life. Maybe it should have been my life, 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 life. I may die after this. He died. Like It's just. Yeah, I mean, other than seeing them bounce off and it's always good to see Shatner in the role, you yeah. do realize, like, if it does not stand up to any scrutiny, no. like, any of this there's stuff. A, I mean, there's two things I want to talk about before we get to kind of the, the big final battle. Um, there is kind of the nice line, the again, a nice sequence where he talks about, like, oh, like, if Spock were here, like, he would say that I would be, I was being a, you know, silly, illogical human. And he looked at Picard. It's like I'm sure, like we have, like you know, it's like the our our odds, the odds are grim, and the circumstances are not in our favor. Not at all. Sounds like fun. Yeah, like, I, I, I like that. Also, in a in a very Shatner thing, Shatner once said, and again, sometimes I don't know how serious Shatner is being with all this stuff, but Shatner once said that the hardest line he ever had to deliver was who am I to disagree with the captain of the enterprise? Because he's like, no, I'm the captain of the enterprise. Like that's mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. But like he kind of a Corey, you know, he kind of like went into it. So, uh, so then they, yeah, they just walk out the door of the Nexus. They're like, all right, like let's just uh, drop ourselves off before Soren launches his big missile into the sun. And 
<laughs> you know, Soren gets, you know, Mag- Malcolm McDowell gets a look at Kirk and like, who the hell are you? Don't you know your history? That's James T. Kirk. And then, you know, they get in a big fight with the two captains versus Malcolm McDowell. Mm-hmm. And it's a fight. <laughs> it's, it's just like really what it is. Yeah. Um, there's a fist okay. fight on a desert, like kind of boring desert planet, which has a very infamous behind the scenes story about it. Which I don't know if you know. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, this, this is. I mean, this is the more interesting story about the ending. Is the infamous alternate ending reshoot? Yeah. Yeah. So basically, it's like the the original at one. Basically, just to say it right now, because I was saving it for this moment. At one the one point in the original cut, um, Soren Kirk was killed by a shot from behind, and Soren, and just basically just kind of taken out that way. And test audiences were more than unhappy with this and everybody at paramount and everybody on the next generation team knew that this was a big mistake uh and paramount despite it's uh saying we're only giving 25 million they gave another 10 million to basically do an entire reshoot and a rebuilding of the set and a whole additional end to the sequence to give kirk a more heroic moment and a more Uh heroic death and a more heroic sort of final line of the movie. So, yeah. And that, that is one of those things where like, that would have been a bummer that original. Absolutely. Ending. Absolutely. Yeah, that would have not been like, absolutely satisfying yeah. at all. No, 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 no. I, I, I can't imagine where anybody thought that was a great idea to and, do and, that. And, and, and the ending that they end up on still feels like a reshoot ending. Like they, they had to keep it within the confines of what they did. But I do give them the credit for at least it's kind of like more of a hero self, uh, you yeah. know, um, selfless move. Um, so, yeah, there is there is that. That being said, the one thing I unabashedly love is I love like his final death moments, like his mm-hmm. final moments and uh, like before he dies and his final line. I like that quite a bit. Yeah, the, like the oh my and everything yeah. like that. Yeah, I'm it's one of those things where it's like, honestly, like I kind of go back to what we've talked about before in terms of more recently, like Toy Story 4, mm-hmm. where you kind of get the sense of like there sometimes you filmmakers and studios or whatever have this pressure. It's like, well, if we're bringing something back, we have to do something meaningful with it and something big with it. Mm-hmm. So like spoilers for Toy Story 4, like they have this big emotional ending where Woody leaves and becomes a lost toy. And it's like, I mean, do, like we discussed, like, do you really need to do that? Like, or do you, can you just tell a fun story with these characters? And sometimes I feel about this with this, like, yeah, like, do you really need to kill Kirk? Could you have not done some weird timey wimey Nexus bullshit where he like gets back and like, you know, back to like where he was and some sort of nonsense. Sure. Is it kind of nice? Like the death scene that he got, like, it's not the most ideal death from Kirk for me, because it still feels a little bit underwhelming but his final lines are very nice but still at the same time it's like i just don't know like you didn't need to bring kirk back just to kill him but i also understand why you felt that way i don't know it's just kind of a weird sort of back and forth okay so i don't disagree with you and now that i'm thinking about it like yeah why couldn't you have just done a I mean, you're already dealing with timey-wimey Nexus stuff. Why couldn't you just do something like, this will take you back home, and then you can yeah. just go back to literally the time in which you died, which would have been kind of a cool kind of, like, epilogue 
to the thing. Yeah, like, if the, you just the, cut back the, to yeah, the beginning, that would have been great. If here's the behind them or something, like guys, like what's the big right. deal? Like, and then been... and then it would have been nice because then maybe there's like a little bit more of this like. I mean, again, the the lessons are all over the place, but maybe then he could have learned that, like, okay, well, maybe now it is important that he settles down or something like that. Yeah. Like, well, like any, listen, any, there yeah. are better ways. There are better to ways do to all do this, of this. All, this yeah. yes. all I will say though is, like, the reason I did, I just, I specifically like the oh my moment because, and you know, he's all about like the 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 new the final frontier and like you know going boldly where no man has gone before. So it was just. For, and, and, and for a man who's always escaped death to finally yeah. face that. I mean, that's the whole point of I, remember Star Trek two is like, he's never faced death. And, and now he's had that experience, but like, there's still a sense of like, it's a man who's constantly cheated his way out of death so many times. Right. It finally reach that moment is, is, is a very interesting sort of thing. I, I think it's a very under, I, I think it's a, it's an underrated death line i think i've yes. always just liked it because it, there, it, there's something kind of like mysterious but peaceful about like oh this is what it is or oh here it comes and then that that's i i i i have a soft spot for that so um but now that you kind of brought up this stuff where they could have done some timey-wimey stuff i'm like oh man you're right you're right that would have yeah. been better i mean it's just, it just <laughs> it is what it is um, and again, and I and you know how much I hate this kind of like oh like they they ruined my fictional timeline of stuff that doesn't exist. Yeah. But that being said, there is a, there is a little bit of like a bummer that you kind of have to in this timeline that Kirk just eventually kind of disappeared. <laughs> Everybody yeah. thought he died, and then he came back and then still died, and then immediately so, died again. Right. Yeah. So there's a little and bit then, of like that because then you have to imagine too that like you know. Picard has to do his reports like, oh, yeah, by the way, remember that? Remember how Captain Kirk died like years right. ago? Well, never mind. He's, he's dead now. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Alan or unless he didn't say anything about no. it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure if Alan Ruck found out. I'm sure he's been living with that guilt for many years. <laughs> um, oh but yeah, the God. final fight is like it is what it is, too. I mean, that's the thing about the the Soren character and Malcolm McDowell is that like there's such an interesting sort of angle with this sort of the the, you know, Time is a like the time is a fire which we burn. Like we kind of like poke fun at it a little bit, but like there is kind of an interesting angle of this guy who's like speaks like kind of in this kind of time stuff, and his time as a predator and sort of that element of his how personal it is. But he's it, it, just like a lot of the movie, just like there's kind of an interest level that starts off immediately with the character, and then it just sort of like drops off just because like they don't really do too much else with it because mm -hmm. this is kind of the movie gets extended. So even by the time we get to this final fight, it's just like not. Like there's there's cool there's a couple cool like moments and and punches and and kind of elements of it, but also at the same time it's not as if like Soren really became like an interesting villain. It's just kind of like he's there to like facilitate all this. So yeah, no, I'm, I I don't disagree. So yeah, Kirk dies, and then um, they're basically um, salvaging the the remnants of the Enterprise D. Um, which again, it kind of gets to the weird thing about you were talking about, where it's like if there was something about the Enterprise legacy earlier, because then Picard starts talking to Riker and he's like, I doubt this will be the last ship to carry on the legacy of the Enterprise. And it's like, that kind of came out of really nowhere, like yeah. considering everything. I also like, because uh, they get in this whole discussion where, uh, first I'll, I'll mention that Data finds his cat and is very happy tears and is confused about crying when he's happy. And everybody's like, no, that's supposed to happen. 
you're good data good for you yeah the cat never kill the cat no don't kill the cat that we learned that from alien because that makes that movie so much better that they don't kill the cat jonesy lives um and in here don't kill spot um anyways Picard's talking to to Riker as well about like, you know, someone once said that time is like a predator, but I see it as a companion and we're all mortal. At which point Riker's like, speak for yourself. I'm going to live forever. Which one I thought, again, is a nice line in their relationship and a nice line from Riker too. I'm like, Riker is going to live forever just from all the memes uh, that 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 uh, Franks has, oh, yeah. has had over the years. He's a, The next generation is a whole, Star Trek is a whole very memeable. Next generation has a share of memes. But just from him doing that one show where he's just like, yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of too. Yeah, yeah. the like the the mysterious mysteries or whatever it is, I don't even yeah. know. But like yeah. that show itself, he's gonna live forever off of that. Um, but then that's basically the end of the movie, and that's Star Trek Generation. Are, are you are you trying to tell me that memes are kind of like a Dorian Gray esque nexus of like thing where it's like. Yeah, like eventually like you're a piece of your soul just goes into a meme yeah basically that's how you like, live forever yeah that's, that's what we're what are we gonna we're, we're gonna live patrick stewart when he goes on we'll remember him yes he was he was picard he was professor xavier but he also did the best face palm that anybody is in history has ever done and will be repeated in many group chats for the entirety of history, I, I'm I'm actually seeing quite I'm actually seeing quite a good horror movie concept right here. The memes, and then it's oh, just like it's just like a like oh, a person oh, oh, who and lived. Like, and the style is so Jordan Peele knockoff. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And then yeah, I and then that's how it's like somebody like this person's been dead for ten years, but they're a meme. They've been memes throughout history. That's like the original, <laughs> like the original memes. Scrolls. They pull out these ancient, these, these ancient photographs that were taken in old timey times of people just being like, "Yeah, these are <laughs> those are like the like the old like the original original memes like like Bad News Brian and that <laughs> one guy with like the backwards cap like like asshole Steve or whatever his yes, name was yeah like, yeah like all those guys were like actually like. Like they've been just meme throughout history. They're just reborn every couple years. I love it. That's All right. Awesome. Anyways, I mean that's what we're talking about instead of Star Trek Generations. But um, it's again, it's just a movie that has just a few like nice elements, and it's not entirely unwatchable. It's just that there are so many elements of this movie that you could just feel are could be so much better. Yeah, I mean, you know, going when I was watching it again, there was nothing about it where I was like, oh boy, ugh. There, there wasn't, it was never like that. It was just kind of surprisingly low on steam as it was going on. Yeah. 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 Um, but it is fun for us to be in this new era and, and I'm excited to continue to see these characters going forward and, and to see kind of how these films move on together. Uh, but it, it's a movie it kind of almost is a movie where it's like it is what it is and you can enjoy the elements that they're there and to enjoy some fun is to be had with kirk being back uh there's fun with the relationships between the core crew but just the plot sort of just really meanders at, at a number of different times yeah all right so that leads into um the uh the post-release the aftermath of the movie star trek generations eventually releases 
for the worldwide audience on November 18th, 1994. Again, kind of coming off the series finale of the show back in the spring. This is kind of like, okay, we're, we're setting it up to be the new, uh, you know, series of films. Film was successful, made $118 million worldwide on a $35 million budget. And I'm sure that first website in cinema history was, was a big part of that. Um, and a lot of hype was around the fact that it was going to be Kirk and Picard, obviously. Um, but the views of this movie were very mixed, uh, mostly negative, um, for basically many of the reasons that we laid out, that people felt it was very much just an extended episode of the show, uh, that the Kirk character was not really used in the most effective light, um, that the plot was sort of not really there and meandering, it's just sort of a lot of that stuff. And um, fans of the show weren't really too high on the final product either. Um, in many in many fans' minds in this early 94 era of the Trek fandom, uh, this cemented the idea that all the odd-numbered Trek movies are bad or disappointing in some fashion. Um, and the even ones are are the good ones. So uh, because it was like, well, even the odd number things like this is the seventh Star Trek movie and even the odd number movies being disappointing extended out to the next generation. So it's got to be got to be true. Um, so, um, yeah, so basically the movie was just mixed, uh, not really beloved by many, though some people do sort of like um, especially like the sort of idea of the nexus and feel like that's very next generation-y and very much sort of the 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 sort of intellectual and metaphysical and all the kind of that sort of stuff they felt that that was really showcased in the movie well um of course patrick stewart and brett spiner were very praised people were very mixed on malcolm mcdowell's character and again the whole sort of plot line of the movie and uh people were were disappointed in the, in in the means of kirk's uh use of the movie and especially most people if not all of the viewing audience were left unsatisfied with with kirk's death um and many of the people who worked on the movie do admit that it could have been uh done better uh especially shatner who would eventually uh bring kirk back in the series of novels he would write uh about the resurrection of kirk uh, just because he was so unsatisfied with that being kirk's ending at the end of the day Good for him. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, um, it was released on Laserdisc, but a lot of movies were at that time. <laughs> yep. I got nothing else. That's what, yeah, that's no, what really I got. Yeah, no, really, really do. Really do not. So um, that will end our first look into the next generation. But next time on the Star Trek side of things, we will be returning to uh, an even number Star Trek movie. And with that, a good Star Trek movie. Uh, what is m considered by pretty much everybody uh, to be the best of the Next Generation films. Uh, we will encounter the Borg. Uh, and we will have another time travel adventure on our hands as we head to Star Trek First Contact. Yeah. Essentially, you know, it's funny if this was... If I if I compared this to the motion picture, then then first context definitely this one's Wrath, Wrath of Khan. Yeah, it yeah. really is. <laughs> uh, so that's exciting and exciting to be. We'll dive into the Borg a little bit more. We'll dive into sort of different elements of the characters, 
uh, and really showcase, I think, a lot of the what's great about this crew is in this next movie. Um, but next time is not a Star Trek. And as of right now, guys, we don't have any specifics yet. We will get that to you soon. Uh, we are still trying to figure out some scheduling stuff for August. So that's yeah, why we haven't really. And, uh, you, and Nick's, Nick's being polite. Everybody can blame me. It, it, there, there's some scheduling things on my end that makes this, this month a little tricky. So, so um, we'll see what, so, what it is. So we'll figure out. Um, we will announce a new series soon um yeah we, we definitely will and yeah. we like and it's also like like we would i was to say like you know we'll discuss maybe the next episode will be part of the new series maybe we'll do a one-off just to make the scheduling easier that's kind of the fun of bonzilla presents you really never know what's coming next we can do whatever we could be crazy <laughs> um so we will have an announcement soon um i will announce the series again on a separate sort of episode in the feed uh as well as we will kind of let you guys know what our actual next episode is we will get you more content but uh we will have announcements soon so keep keep your ears open um so yeah but i'm excited to talk about more trek inside to keep talking it's always a good time with you will same here all right quick plugs bonzillapod at gmail.com uh twitter.com slash bonzilla 007 uh, yes, uh, cool man, cool dude. If you're listening, we all remember that No Time to Die is coming out. It is happening. Mm-hmm. So, but keep tweeting us, guys, because you never know. Oh, cool! I should tell cool dude and uh, and other listeners that one one thing, uh, despite my crazy schedule, that I do plan on doing this month is watching Singular Point. Yes, so that's, that that's that something... I will be doing that at least. Yes. So, and I will pro- I will be joining in uh, so that we can discuss it. Uh, so that review probably won't be in August. It'll be down the line. But oh, yeah. Won't... No, no, no. It won't be. I, it, well, that wasn't a... It's, yeah, it's that coming wasn't a, soon. It's I'm not just coming saying, soon, yeah. but we're, we're going to start watching it. So, yes. Yeah. Uh, but And it, we will also do No Time to Die <laughs> at some point. Mm-hmm. November, hopefully. Um, anyways, Facebook.com. This is Bonzilla007. Twi- uh, I already did the Twitter. SoundCloud.com. Uh, 007. Like and subscribe. iTunes and SoundCloud. Um, thanks again, everybody, for the listens. Uh I know you guys really enjoyed Kong. I know you guys are really enjoying Star Trek, and I hope you enjoy what comes next. Well, until then, take care. Uh, see ya, everybody. They say time is the fire in which we burn.